Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to be together with you again in the podcast studio and talking about things that matter. I hope you've listened to the first couple of shows from this very late and start season. And today I want to begin a two part um, conversation with you about growth and maturity. Don't you? Aren't those just like mouthful words, growth and the maturity. And what does that really mean? And I've been thinking a lot about it. And does our growth and maturity ever come to an end? No, it doesn't. I'm, I'm like you, getting older every year. Only, only I'm on the far older side. And I recognize that my desire and aim for knowing him better And finding growth and maturity in my own life, yes, maturity at age 76. Like I think, isn't that mature enough? No, because it's not about chronological years. Because if that were the case, I'd just put it all away and and go on. Do you know anybody like that? I do. I know some folks who thought they learned everything a long time ago and they're not adding anything to their new um, dialogue with God. So I want to start by asking you a question. I wish we were all in the same room. Do you think you can tell the difference between teaching and preaching? between teaching and preaching. I've had some wonderful responses with that. Well, preaching is when when someone preaches at you. And teaching is when they teach you something. And I want to go, duh, what, what was the difference here? But I found these two ideas as I was digging around in his teachings about how he designed and his teachings designed to foster our growth and maturity. Like a passage found in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm reading out of a, um, I don't know what version this is, it doesn't matter. Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He taught. He taught. Now, teaching and evangelizing are two things. One is a proclaiming, a proclaiming, the other is an exclaiming. Proclaiming is more was more dominant in the early portion of his three years of ministry because he was saying who he was. Preaching was saying, who do you say that I am? Preaching brought people who did not have faith to come to faith. That's essential, and that's the difference. People who already have come to faith, they need Teaching. Teaching as Jesus' title occurs more than 70 times in the New Testament. 
seven zero times. He does not proclaim uh, the message of the evangel message, the come to faith, recognize who I am. He did not spend his years here doing that. He spent most of his three years teaching. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, Matthew 5.17 tells us, to reveal the full depth of the meaning of the law and to show the actions of Christ to fulfill it. Many thought of him as a prophet, and he describes himself in several places as a prophet, but people say to him, are you a prophet? The Samaritan woman asks. The people in the funeral possession of the widow in Luke chapter 7 say, are you a prophet? He is a prophet. When the 5,000 were fed, they called him a prophet. Even on the road to Emmaus where the two men, which is always a phenomenal passage to me, like how is it that two human beings who had seen and met Jesus, did not recognize him. Like they say to him, oh, you must be new in the neighborhood. Haven't you heard what's been going on? And and these two believers on the road referred to Jesus as a prophet. And Jesus himself referred to himself as a prophet from time to time. He claimed to be sent by God. He claimed to be in communion with God. He, compl- he claimed to be able to... Uh, per- permit miracles to perform miracles, I should say. And he did perform miracles. He claimed to predict coming events. And some of those coming events actually came to be. So these individual ways of spiritual growth are found in his word. And they're meant to help us follow in truth and grace more closely. And we never, ever get too old in years, chronological years, or too old in study of the Word, or going faithful to church, or going to Bible studies. Have you seen this happen in your life, or in someone's life that you know? Or you're a young adult, and they become an adult, and then they become an older adult, and they seem to put all learning on stop. They, they, they know it all. They would never say they know it all. They would never even say they know all of Jesus. But they stop learning. Learning is an important part of growing spiritually. So in the next two days, today and the next day, I would like to go over five steps each day. So yes, this is a 10 step, 10 ideas, 10 thoughts, 10 places, uh, ways that you can measure for yourself how you are growing. So the first one is growing by loving the Lord. Growing by loving the Lord. Both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. All. Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. It says, both places that we are to I always wonder how it is that I can give my all, my all, my all in these three dominant areas of my life. But loving the Lord, continuing to grow in how I love the Lord. He says in John 15, verse 9, remain in my love. Which part of you loves the Lord the least? Or where do you struggle with loving the Lord? Ask yourself those questions. The second one is you have growth by loving others. 
for those of you who have walked through COVID with modern homemakers, you'll remember that I spent several days talking about passage found in the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that continues to change the course of my life. I can still tell you I was a young woman of 25 or 6 years old the first time I read it. It told me to love my enemies. Okay, I think I might have heard that one before because I'm supposed to love everyone. But then it said, not only love your enemies, but pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you. Oh, now, now wait. That's just one step too far. Like, practicing loving, even extending the niceties of what love should look like. But there is something so powerful when I love my enemy and then I pray for those who despitefully use and persecute me. It changes me. It changes how I feel about them. The first commandment that God gives us is to love ourselves. And the second, love him as we love ourselves. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this commandment of loving others, we see it showing up all through the Gospels. John 13, 34 through John 15, 17. He says in his own words, love one another as I have loved you. And no one has loved you more than Jesus has. No one has loved me more than Jesus has. The third step is growing by obeying God's word. Okay, Donna, get off my toes. Yeah, I wish I could, but I have to step on my toes and yours also. Obedience is a hallmark of following Christ obedience. He speaks of practicing the commands of the scripture. Matthew 5, 19, when he says, actually in several places, he says, who are my family? Who are my mother and my brother? One of the places in Mark, his mother has come with his brothers because his mother, and I always laugh about this, for those of you who have Jewish ancestry, Jewish descent, you have a good Jewish mother or a good Jewish grandmother, they are always saying the same things to us, aren't they? They, they look in our face and they, they say, love one another. Your, your Jewish mother comes to find what you're doing to see how you're not loving and wants to help you love better. And here's Jewish mother Mary who comes to find her son Jesus, one of her sons, and comes with other sons. And they come in with a sort of a, an accosting. The passage when you read it in other languages, they're very harsh terms and tones. And so when they come into the room where Jesus is with the disciples, he says, your family has come to get you. And Jesus says, back maybe one or two, three places that the scripture ever sort of appears that Jesus is being sarcastic. And he says, well, who are my mother and my brothers and my family? And then he adds, those who do the will of the Lord They are your family, your brothers and your sisters. So obeying God's word comes full face when it comes to us, flies in our face when it comes to us. Do we love our brothers and our sisters, our mother and our father? We have a hard time with our parents, especially. You know, all parents are not perfect, except me, of course, I was perfect. I was the perfect mother. Now call my daughter, I'll give you her number, and she can tell you in all the places that I was imperfect. And she would be right about them. 
No one is perfect but God. So obedience flies in the face of our ability. And then we say, well, so why why not just do whatever I wanted it? Now, I have a pet peeve. And lately, I've been asking people what their pet peeve is. Or sometimes I maybe I prod them and I say, does it bother you when you see someone pull into a handicapped spot without a handicapped parking? Or if someone who has a handicapped place and they pull in and they bounce out on their new Nikes and uh, jog off into the store, does that ever bother you? I can't tell you how vehement people are on this subject. They are up in arms. I've heard story after story. I've stood in front of a car waiting for that man to come back to tell him he should not be parking in this spot because he kept someone from getting a spot who really needed it. And it goes on and on. The litany of accounts of people who move into handicapped parking. The law of the land says don't do it. Matter of fact, if you get caught, I understand that the fees are as high as $500, somewhere between 250 and 350 in all states in our country. Obedience, obeying God's word, following the laws of the land is a way to grow in your love and maturity with Jesus. John 14, verse 21 and 23 tells us, He, whoever he is, keeps my commandments, shows his love for me. For by doing good deeds, doing good deeds, you know, the scripture tells us that we should live our lives so that others see our good deeds. Not that we do good deeds so they can see them, but that we do good deeds so they do see them and they notice them. They notice them. Many of you have heard me speak of Crystal Goodman, who's been a part of the ministry for the last 10 years at least. She is a abominably good woman. Is abominably? Can you say that? No, I mean, what's the snowman? The indominant? No, that's not right either. Whatever it is, Crystal Goodman is a good woman. She's good from the inside out. And you can catch her at a good deed almost every day of her life. In the last 10 years, I have seen her do so many good deeds. And I'm going to introduce you to Crystal and her husband at the beginning of the year and talk about the deeds of their lives and how God has used the good deeds in their lives, in their marriage, in their parenting, in their family, and in the community of Christ. Love others that they might see your good deeds, bearing fruit, as Matthew 7 talks about. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And five, for today the fifth, growth comes by putting spiritual priorities first. The King James Version uses this phrase, laying up treasures in heaven. Is this one hard? It is hard. Why is it hard? How do you think you're doing? Or how do I think I'm doing when I see my unseen woes. I'm pretty good at keeping my spiritual imperfection 
locked up in the closet at home in my study. Uh, when I'm yelling at my husband, I don't open the door and say, come on, everybody, listen to me. I'm raising my voice with my husband. I don't raise my voice anymore, but I can give you a stern, I can give him a stern look that sounds just like raising my voice. Spiritual priorities. We are laying up our treasures in heaven. How do you think you're doing? How do you think you're doing? Not not asking someone to tell you, how do you think I'm doing, Donna? No, I'm asking you to call yourself by your name and ask yourself, how are you doing in laying up treasures in heaven? What do you think your treasure pile looks like? You're not doing it so you can build a big pile so someone can see it. You're doing it because he calls us to lay up spiritual priorities that we might be prepared for this place called heaven. Well, I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers, and these are the first five of the ten things that I found in the scripture that we can practically apply ourselves to and have spiritual, continual spiritual growth and productivity. What I love about these first five, what I love about the next five, is that they are all something I can do at 76, and you can do at 42, you can train your children to do at 4, and 12, and 16, because they are the very tools that provide us a place to grow in how we love the Lord our God. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day in following Jesus.